Hey everybody, welcome to the Afterword. I'm Dave Tish here in the studio live with Jay Kim. Jay, Jay, we have a present for the people. We have a gift. What? We have a gift for the people. Oh my goodness. You know what it is? What is it? Um, we have, you and I sat down yesterday. Oh yes. With Dr. Gary Brashears. Oh yes. From Western Seminary. Yes. Um, he spent about an hour talking through all the biblical craziness yeah. around the spiritual realm, yeah. demons, angels, exorcisms, Nephilim, we exorcisms. We did. We talked exorcisms. Yeah. And we both Devil. got exercised. Nephilim. It was crazy. We both. Cherubim. Yeah. Nephilim, no, I'm seraphim. kidding. We did not. Neither. Those are all real though. The, yes, talk, those are. We do talk about all that stuff. It's it, great. Angels, demons, cherubim, Nephilim. It's a YouTube seraphim. video, but it's also as part of this afterward podcast, it'll be a special yeah. edition. So that'll be. Um, coming to so if you're interested, it's almost an it was like an hour and four minutes. Yeah, so the audio version of it will be on this feed. Yep. In, in its full format, hour and ten minutes or something. If you go to Westgatechurch.org/slash/unseen-resources, the video is there. Yeah, the YouTube video, and it has time markers, Tamps, time stamps. Yeah, so, so you that, can fast forward to yeah. your area of interest. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. So, 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 so if anybody wants to know about how Gary performs exorcisms, that sounds like a joke, but it's actually real. It's real. Go check out. He the talked video about it. And it's, uh, yeah, really interesting. Endlessly, endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And practical too. And, and yeah. A, and super I, encouraging. Yeah. Also. Very encouraging. Yeah. Very encouraging. Yeah. So he's a legend. Uh, he's been important to both of our lives. Yes. So, so be sure and look for that. But that's not all we have for you. We also have our normal everyday Afterward podcast. This week, Jay and I are going to delve into week three of Unseen, in which we talk about the devil and how his primary tactics are lies. That's his primary weapon of choice. It's not tanks. It's not missiles. It's actually lies. So we're going to get into what that means for us, what it means for our culture, and uh, let's just dive right in. Chickity check check chickity checkity check chickity checkity check. You know we're recording, right? Uh, hey everybody, welcome to the afterward. Hey Jay, uh, first hey, of all, thanks for being here. Of course. Want to start off with it's 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 a bit of a sad week. Yeah. Let me explain why. Uh, I want to do a little bit of an in memoriam. Sure. To one of the more influential Christian authors in my personal. Walk with Jesus. Yeah. This week, Frederick Beekner died. Yes. For those who don't know, Frederick Beekner was a minister, but he was also a prolific author. Brilliant writer. And a brilliant writer. Yeah. And if you haven't encountered his um, kind of his works, um, I remember when I first became a Christian in Hawaii, we're talking this is 90, 98. Mm-hmm. The first person that I was given to read was Dallas Willard and C.S. Lewis, mm. which is great. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a great one, too. Then Martin Luther King's Collected Works. Also fantastic. So those two, Willard helped me with the disciplines. Yep. Uh, Lewis helped me with the philosophy. Hmm. King helped me with the practicality of what it means to do and be salt and light. And then the third or the fourth author was Frederick Beatner. Hmm. And in his autobiography, he wrote this... It was just a reflections on his life. He wrote this opening sentence of this, which is still to this day one of the most profound opening sentences I've ever read. Mm. 
And the whole point that Beekner was trying to make to everyone is your life, your story, it matters. It matters to God and listen to it because God's trying to invite and speak in it. This was the opening line of his book, Telling Secrets, which is his memoir mm-hmm. about his own life and God's involvement in his life and his awakening to, to God in his life. One November morning in 1936, when I was 10 years old, my father got up early put on a pair of gray slacks and a maroon sweater, opened the door to look in briefly on my younger brother and me who were playing a game in our room, and then went down into the garage where he turned on the engine of the family Chevy and sat down on the running board to wait for the exhaust to kill him. This is how he opens his book. Mm -hmm. And I had never read anything so honest, so frank, certainly not from a Christian, and it began this incredible process of saying, wow, if even in the brokenness of that story, which that's the opening of the story, that brokenness, yeah. then then there's no possibility that there's any story too broken that God can't jump into. Yeah. So Frederick Beekner, man, thanks for all your writing. And and thanks for listening to the afterward. Yeah. One of our most avid. Yeah. Listeners. He's been, he's been talking, he's been writing in for, for, for years now. Um, yeah, it was just a brilliant life, brilliant writer. Just wanted to, I just wanted to pause and reflect. If you don't know who, uh, Beekner is, look him up. B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R is his name. Frederick. He's great. Great writer. Anyway. So do you have any Beekner stories? Um, no, I'm just a big fan of his work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant thinker and he was, he was very, he stewarded words very well. Yeah. You know, it's rare to read a writer that can move you to emotion in the simplicity of his writing. And I think Beekner was one of those people and a follower of Jesus, you know. So his words had more than just emotional weight, they had spiritual. I remember one of the criticisms of him is he was too religious for irreligious people, too irreligious for religious people. Yeah. And I, I thought that that was always so great yeah. um, because uh, his was an invitation into the human story. Right. And he believed that that God actually yep. is the answer to the human story. So it's both human and very specifically religious. Yes. <laughs> and exactly. I, I always appreciated that. And I think I think you do too. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's one of your things too. Okay, well, we are in week two of um, our... Actually, no, I'm sorry. We are in week three of our sermon series on the Unseen Realm. Yes. And this week we talked about um, the lies yes. of, of Satan and how this is his primary tactic is lying. Mm-hmm. This is the primary way that he goes about deceiving, but also that these lies aren't just things that you and I believe, um, narratives that we tell ourselves, but narratives that actually sink into culture, yeah. and they actually begin deceiving large numbers of people. Um, John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, which both of us referenced, mm-hmm. which was formational and helpful, I think, to this sermon and to both of us, talks about how the devil actually... His primary tactic is deceptive ideas that play to disordered idea, um, disordered desires in us yeah. that are normalized in sinful society, and that's the devil, the flesh, and the world. So the devil, deceptive ideas, the flesh, our disordered um, desires, and then the world, um, that's the kind of normalized bad ideas that get normalized in, in sinful society. Mm. Um, just as you think and reflect on that, that's kind of a large, I mean, we're talking about culture and lies, but it's also very personal. 
Yeah. Because people can believe lies, but so can cultures. Mm -hmm. Um, Just as you kind of thought and reflected about that, what did that, did that make you more aware of some, some ideas in our culture that you've kind of seen more clearly as being um, sinking into our society? Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, in a, we've talked about materialism during this series in a materialistic society and a materialistic culture within materialistic worldview, uh, you know, hedonism sort of is the path to flourishing because if everything is material, then material or physical pleasure, um, is, is the highest good, right? The greatest good, right? It has to be if everything, if everything immaterial is not real, um, or it's untrue, then, then you have to achieve the greatest level of physical material gratification to experience the greatest good. Mm -hmm. So I think almost maybe not all, but so many of the lies we believe sort of find their roots in that, that it's a lie, (laughs) you know, find their roots in that lie from hell that uh, everything is physical. There is no, nothing deeper, you know, Um, we're just a, you know, a, a mass of neurons and atoms and, yeah, so I think almost everything finds its roots in that sort of materialistic rendering of life. And, and that it, leads to weird dysfunctions like, um, I mean, I, it leads to greed. It leads to avarice. It leads to, I mean, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, it leads to all sorts of, I, I was thinking about the kind of the roots of the Bay Area in particular, our sports team our, in the 49ers. Yeah. I'm thinking about the people who left the Midwest and the East Coast to come what kind of spirit they had yeah, and then also what they were searching for. So -hmm. there's a leaving behind of anything traditional, but then there's also this hope of getting rich quick. Yeah. So it's like this weird amalgam of both get rich quick and also innovative entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. new horizons, new door, which is both exciting and also weird and can turn into weird idols. Right. Cause if you leave behind everything in the old ways, then you'll have nothing. <laughs> Some of those things should not be left behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there's that, that, that's kind of the ethos of the Bay area. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you're talking about the Niners. So the gold rush was in many ways, this is sounds like a crass way to put it, but it's accurate. The gold rush was basically, we think that there's something in the land that can, that's a value. And what's so funny about gold is like it's, it really has no actual intrinsic value. It's beautiful and it's it's worth a lot because we all just collectively happen to agree that it's worth a lot. But if you were on a desert island and it would have no value, like it right. would you would die holding bars of gold. You know what I mean? You can't eat it. It doesn't. You know, it can't like doesn't cure you of anything. It's not a medicine or food. Um, so people come. They rip this stuff literally from the land and get rich, and then they get out, thinking zero about the land itself, you know? And uh, it's kind of emblematic of the materialistic worldview. It's like there isn't anything harmoniously beautiful and good 
you know, sort of binding this entire land together in ways that I can't see. It's literally just about the physicality of I see something. I mean, it's like Genesis 3, you know, like the rhythm of sin. Like, I see something, it looks good, I take it for myself. I see, desire, take. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I want it and I take it. Yep. And you don't think about how disruptive that is to the whole of, in Genesis 3, like God's ordering of the world which demands trust on our behalf, trust that he knows what's good and bad, and we can trust him for that, you know? So I, I think that happens and when a culture loses its sense of, you know, spirituality, that there is something deeper than what you can see, taste, touch. And I think the devil... You know, there is the usual suspects, Kaiser Soze, who's quoting, I think, some literature is like the greatest trick the devil ever played on the world was, you know, to convince the world that he wasn't real. Yeah. 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 And that's the lie. I think that's like one of the pervasive lies in our culture that the devil plays on us. We just, we think we live in a material world. So we chase material things and hope that they'll satisfy. And then we're left wanting, you know, and these narratives kind of build up. I find I found this week very interesting because when I think of the devil, I think of demons, I think of movies, I think of super scary. Like yeah. I remember the first time I was ever actively terrified watching anything was probably the movie Aliens. Oh yeah, the, I, those xenomorph aliens were the yeah. most terrifying, scary. That's the stuff of nightmares. Right. The stuff of H.R. Geiger's imagination, which was seemed to be informed by hell, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it was so scary. And so that's what I think of of demons. But yeah. really what this, what the biblical story is trying to say is that there's this allure, this beautiful allure of, of, of something beautiful that's counterfeit. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not scary because you want to go toward it. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit like the Nemo clip from last yeah, week. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's a, a lot about that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to read this thing from John Mark Comer. And this was in a sermon. I, I can't remember what the sermon was. He was talking about the overall meaning of life in our current world. Now he's in Portland, but West Coast is mm -hmm. the same. It's pretty very similar mm -hmm. to the the realities we're experiencing here. And this is what he wrote about it. I thought this was pretty f funny, um, and I can I just thought I'd read it. He says uh, the overall meaning of life. This is the secular narrative. Um, this is the lie that Satan's telling us. And you're as you listen, you might say, "Oh, that sounds kind of accurate." As I read it, I was like, "Oh, it seems like that seems to be the dominant narrative." Technically, if we're being brutally honest, there is no overall meaning of life. Life's a glorious or not so glorious, depending on how much money you have. Accident. There's no creator, which means there's no creation. All we're left with is nature. There's no design per se with intent. There's just tooth and claw. So now that we have an earth that's full. Feel free to come up with whatever meaning for your life that you want. Ideally, something to do with progress. That would be good. That kind of ties into evolutionary theory. We're all good people. We want to make the world a better place, I guess, right? I mean, right. But we don't need God to progress as a species as we try to build our world with no sexism or no racism and no poverty. God's a dead weight holding us back from progress and enlightenment. And if you can't come up with a cause to give your life to, that's okay. You live in the West Coast where you can just have your CBD-infused kombucha, a great coffee, just ride your bike to brunch, hang out with your friends, and swipe right while it lasts. Yeah. I thought that was a really kind of clever and pithy way of expressing kind of the, the pervasive lie that I think a lot of people are probably living in. Right. Yes, it's exactly what we're talking about, a material right. world. Yeah. Right? Have brunch, swipe right, <laughs> hook up. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And I actually think that's, um, again, I, I think it's not everything, but I think it's foundational to the, to the great lie of the enemy. Almost everything can connect a few dots to that. Right. Everything's material, chase pleasure, feel good. Yeah. Everyone, everyone wants to feel good. That's the highest that's the that's the religion of the day. And so it's the antidote as if the if the lie is the poison, yeah. the truth is the antidote. It's the it's the chemotherapy to the yeah. cancer of the lie. So just even as you were processing this and thinking about this not just for our people but our staff and also yourself because we're all besieged by lies. The same playbook that Satan uses of lying yeah. is is he he uses it for you uses it for me different lies perhaps right but same ones just as you were thinking about that what kind of antidote stuff? yeah i mean you and i were talking in a meeting this morning about uh dietrich bonhoeffer and his quote in the in his book discipleship or cost of discipleship when christ bids a man he bids him come and die um, and it's kind of a downer to hear that, but it is what it is. Jesus says it, you know, it's true. Like the invitation is to take up our cross and follow him. The cross is an instrument. And deny ourselves. Death. Yeah. Yeah. But also the story goes that he doesn't stay dead, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he makes that clear as well, you know, that he came that we might have life and life to the full. Um, as Paul writes in him, we are a new creation, uh, that just sounds like hyperbolic sort of metaphorical language in, in the English. But what he meant by that was like literally something old has died. You're something brand new. Like in your nature, you are something new. So I think, you know, it, if, if we're not careful, it can sound a little bit like um, new agey sort of, you know, reach some sort of nirvana, you know, in your mental, emotional state or something. But uh, that's not what it is. Like, I think it's quite literal that if we can die to ourselves, our, um, you know, in that triad of lies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, in particular, if we can die to our flesh first, um, then our desires get reoriented as new creatures, and the temptations and the allure of the world uh, don't seem nearly as attractive mm -hmm. if we can die to the flesh. And then um, as we are new in Christ, uh, we recognize that the devil has no power over us, no sway. You know, So, I mean, I, I think the problem is most of us keep ourselves way too preoccupied and busy chasing the stuff of the flesh. Again, pleasure because we're materialists, you know, we're, we're fleshly people. Um, mm. And I think we have to get to a place where we can die to those things. And it's not to say do not ever enjoy um, physical stuff. I mean, there's a way in which our enjoyment of physical realities becomes deeply spiritual and it has a lot to do with uh, our heart posture, our recognition of God's goodness in giving us these gifts always of course making sure that um they don't become idols you know that we don't idolize the good gifts of god that we don't idolize the gifts over the giver of the gifts right the creation over the cre creator you know all those things that we've heard before so yeah there's a way to enjoy and experience with gratitude the goodness of god's physical world and 
uh, and the gifts that he offers there. But I think if we can, if we can die to ourselves, die to the flesh and be reborn as new creatures, um, some of that stuff, at least in my life, some of that stuff has sort of worked itself out more naturally. You just, you have new eyes to see, you know, and new ears to hear and you recognize some of the, the brokenness for, for what it is. And you recognize that it can't really ever satisfy and fulfill you the way it promises it will, you know, all the stuff of the world. So, yeah, those are the big picture lies, but there's also the small picture lies. And you and I both worked in youth ministry for years. And anytime you work around teenagers, you see that there are lies that have been told to teenagers in interpersonal contexts that have deeply wounded them. I opened up this weekend with a story about one of my favorite students ever. Yeah. And the only student I think I've ever had that's been louder than me. <laughs> um, her name was Tatiana. And um, we had to write this paper. I had them just do a free writing exercise just to get them writing yeah. about um, the power of words. We were reading To Kill a Mockingbird. And that that's a that's a book that deals very powerfully with the power of words, yeah. both positively and negatively. And so we said, what are some? what's an example of negative words being used to hurt somebody? And she wrote about herself, which I thought was very brave. Mm -hmm. And she wrote that her mother had a nickname for her, and she called her Oops. And that that was her mother's way of saying you were an unintended, accidental pregnancy. And actually, her mother would layer upon that, and that's the reason why your father left. He didn't want kids, and I got pregnant. So that's why we're alone. So it was burdened. It layered upon her both an accident and also unwanted, and also the reason why your father abandoned us. And she carried that. She carried yeah. that weight with her a lot. And helping her see, like, the, that's that defined a lot of her behavior. Yeah. That was beginning to define, even as a, as a junior in high school, which isn't that old of a person, yeah. what, 16? Right. It was starting to define the trajectory of her life. Yeah. And that's just horrific. Yeah. I mean, that's a, those are all lies. Right. But those lies sink in, and we listen to those lies, and they hurt us. Yeah. Um, whether it's the guy who you, you'll always be alone, um, you'll you'll never have enough. Uh, the adults that you tried to trust, they betrayed you. So you have got to grab and take what you need because no one's going to look out for you. Yeah. Um, if you're not perfect, violence will erupt in your house. Right. You know, all these kinds of things that these lies that 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 filter in on a micro level also serve to deform us. Right. And we need to take those. Um, what's the word captive or do the work to un- undo those, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that that's, that's hard work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and I think it, those types of things come in all shapes and sizes from our family of origin, um, our, our present circumstances, right. fear, anxiety about the future that feels so unknown. Am I going to be alone forever? Are we ever going to have children? Is this, job going to work out uh and then the deeper lies like if it doesn't work out that way am i worthless am i meaningless what's the point you know those sorts of things yeah they are primarily so much of that those are just lies from hell you know because our meaning and our worth our value and our calling all that stuff has been established you know and and it's clear and it's steady and it doesn't ever change you know we're beloved children of god um, we are as people called blessed by God to be a blessing to the world, you know, that's steady. It's constant and there's nothing on earth 
that you can do or nothing that can be done to you that changes changes that you know finally we we talked about the lies of satan that's his primary weapon one of the things and i wonder I wonder how you think about this, but for, for me, and maybe it's just because I'm such a raging extrovert, and, and you're less of an extrovert. Of course, everyone that I know is less of an extrovert. Um, my wife is extroverted, but compared to me, she's practically introverted. Um, my The thing that, maybe it's just this, and, 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 and tell me what you think about this pastorally and just, you know, biblically. One of the things that I have seen in my life is the value of community. Yeah. To help counteract the lies. Yep. I feel it's like zebras. You know, the zebra that is away from the herd, away from the pack, that's the one that the lionesses go after yeah. and they drag down yeah. because they're alone. Mm-hmm. And I have found this tremendous tendency when these lies come, my tendency, my fleshly tendency is almost always to withdraw from community. Mm. It's to be alone. I'm depressed. It's a self-pity party. Yeah. Um, my focus turns entirely away from God, away from others, away from the church, away from serving, away from other people, just to myself, my, yeah. whatever it might be. Uh, and I have found that one of the antidotes um, is, or God's voice, that is the antidote, I should say, comes through his community. Yeah. Uh, now, there's also personal work I have to do. I have to do some some real hard work on my own, but sometimes even before I can do that, I need to be the the voice of the community, uh, the voice of the spirit of God through His people is yeah. what I mean to say. Um, really comes through. Have you experienced that? Do you think that, or is that is that my extroversion? Like, oh, people first and then solitude. Obviously, it's both. Right. Do, you, do have you found a, a, an order or a pattern to that, or just what what are your general thoughts about? Just yeah, I mean, I, I think God made made us for one another, for Himself and for one another. So. If you were at church on Sunday, you heard us talking about sort of the next step season that we're in. And we've been asking everybody, take your next step into the life of our church family, whatever that is. Maybe it's checking out a mid-sized group and not just going to the Sunday service where you can just kind of like disappear and leave quietly. Or maybe it's, yeah, you've been going to some mid-sized events and meeting some good people. Maybe the next step is to like, I'm going to jump into like a life group and actually start doing life with other folks. Maybe it's an invite to serve. It's one of the best ways to really belong is to serve alongside some other people. But the reason those things are important is not because they're like programs in a church. It's because it's they're practical expressions of the most, like the most human way to live life, which is to live life with others. Um, and in particular with others who are journeying or at least trying to journey toward Christ-likeness, you know. Uh, And I think that's because God himself is relationship. He is perpetual, constant relationship, you know. He doesn't do relationship. He doesn't have relationship. He is a relationship. He is relationship. Three in one, right? Father, Son, Spirit. Um, That's baked into the universe. Yeah, and... So if we're made in his image, we're made in the image of relationship. Like in other, in other words, extroverted or introverted, that actually has very those definitions and all the enneagram numbers and whatever else that people overemphasize to sort of self-identify. Those things have nothing to do with the fact that every human on the planet is a relational creature that needs relationship. And in fact, I would say theologically um that God has designed it in such a way that his presence comes most alive in our midst 
as we live in relationship with one another. You know, it's it's one of the reasons why the Bible seems to be so clear um, that, uh, you know, where where three or more are gathered, you know, and, uh, you know, do, do not give up meeting together. And the first Christians constantly gathered and they had everything in common. And almost every you in the Bible is plural. It's y'all, you know. And so... Yeah, however you want to sort of try to explain it, what seems undeniable is that God is relationship and has made us for relationship. And so he seems to he seems to enjoy showing up in the context of relationship. And that's been true for my life in my life too that God's voice speaks most clearly to me through scripture and community, you know, as I listen for what he might be saying through his word and through the words of those who know me, know God, love me, love God, you know, and, and want to journey with me um, through the ups and downs of life. So, yeah, very practically, I would say, yes, that's true in my life. Yes, I believe that's the way God designed it. So I, that's why I think it's so important for folks to consider taking a next step toward belonging. And finding some community. You know, yeah. If you don't have that. I yeah. know a lot of folks do, but Yeah. Right. And some people it's just continue on. Yeah. Growing those deep roots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's great. And next week you're you're gonna be talking uh, alongside Steve about yeah. the armor of God. So how to get victory in these areas. Yes. So very practical. Ex- super practical. Forward? Yeah. Moving forward. Should be good. Not in fear. No. But in confidence. Yes. It's pretty exciting. Yep. So Join us next week, and thanks for being here, Jay. Yeah, thank you guys. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Just want to say thanks to Jay Kim for stopping by. Join us next week as we wrap up our Unseen Sermon Series with a final week where we talk about how to be victorious. We talk about the armor of God and the resources God's given us to overcome the temptations and the accusations and the lies of Satan. Steve Clifford and Jay Kim will be by, and so join us next week for that, and we'll see you then.